Hello, loyal listening audience. Thank you for downloading our podcast again. This is Noggin Notes, and I'm Jake Wiskirchen. I'm your host. In this episode, I interview Carrie Sloan. That's S-L-O-N-E, K-E-R-R-Y, if you're keeping score at home. And we talk about a lot of stuff in honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Carrie is a domestic violence survivor, and she's also a very fierce advocate for gun ownership. And we try not to make this podcast political, um, so we try to avoid that, but we can't really avoid the idea of constitutional rights and how some people choose to exercise those rights. And I think Carrie does a really good job of articulating some of the the flashpoints of today's dialogue revolving around guns and mental health and treatment and access to mental health and what scares people away and where the information is going and how that's used to uh, allow or prohibit people from accessing gun ownership and how those guns are used to defend themselves against uh, you know perpetrators of domestic abuse. So it's a fascinating conversation. She she likes to talk, and I have no problem with that because I like to talk, and it gives me a break. And uh, we tease each other, which is nice, uh, as as friends should do. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. As always, our podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is an Amazon company. And as you all know, probably by now, if you've used Amazon, you know that they have a very wide reach. And as a result, Audible has a very wide reach as well. And they have an unmatched selection of audiobooks and audio content that you can download. And right now, if you want, you can use our special code and our special URL to get a free 30-day trial that includes a free download of an audiobook. And it doesn't matter whether you continue the trial or not after you uh, after your 30 days are expired. If you choose not to extend and pay for the subscription, you just keep your audiobook. Anyway, the URL is audibletrial.com slash noggin notes. It helps us out, it helps Audible out, and it helps you out because you get to feed your noggin with uh, a vast array of downloadable Audible audio content. And Say that three times three times fast. I can't even say it. And I'm doing this for, uh, well, I would say for a living, but I'm not getting paid. <laughs> this is just free stuff I'm throwing out there. But audibletrial.com slash noggin notes. Uh, download your free audible, ah, three <laughs> free 30 day trial. I would cut and start over, but I'm, I'm just too busy and a little too lazy to do that. So we're just going to proceed. Download your free 30 day trial of audible. Get your free audiobook. Keep it even if you cancel the membership, but we invite you to continue your membership because that just helps make the world go round. As you're feeding your brain and supporting a great company and supporting a great podcast, audibletrial.com slash nogginuts, get your free 30-day trial. We're obviously also sponsored by Zephyr Wellness, which is my company that I co-own with my co-owner, Lindsay Bell, here in Reno and Sparks, Nevada. If you're ever in this area and you're a listener, look us up. And if you want to reach out to us, info at nogginnotes.com is the way to do that, or info at zephyrwellness.org. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll uh, we'll answer your questions and put your stuff on air, hopefully, in, in response to your inquiries. Thanks for uh, bearing with us through the last several weeks of technical difficulties and glitches and uh, delays in podcast posting, but uh, we're here and we're honoring October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. This is my interview with Carrie Sloan. I hope you enjoy it. 
So this week we're speaking with Carrie Sloan, and Carrie and I met uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We met really recently, but we kind of became BFFs at this conference that we attended. And I, I should let you say hi. Hi, Carrie. Hello, BFF. <laughs> it's uh, kind of true. We totally hit it off. It was great. We did. And like, it was the fastest I think it's ever happened. You and, uh, well, Mike Sedini and I became BFFs pretty quickly. That was like an hour and a half, but yours, yours and mine was like 15 seconds. Yeah, um, that's pretty great. You you started announcing what you did, and I I said what I did, and you're like, oh, we are totally gonna hit it off. And we we did the like <laughs> two fingers to the eye thing, and um, it's true. Actually, not, you not, you did not that. Not to be mistaken with poking each other in the eye. No, not at all. No, not like it's in not a, awkward. Yeah, not in a Three Stooges way. <laughs> but uh, I'm totally sure the audience <laughs> loves this right now. But uh, no, you 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 did that. You did the two fingers to the eyes, like I see you, and we're gonna we're gonna be good friends, and and yeah. we have like we've we've started texting about stuff, and you've hit me up for some resources, and uh, so my introduction uh, for you is going to include the the fact that you are a survivor of domestic violence. This is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We're recording this in October of 2019. So if you're listening to this out of order, no big deal. This is this is the theme. And um, you have started a nonprofit. You, you have very strong opinions on lots of things, which I appreciate because I do also. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. Um, no, you do. And and I appreciate that because I think in a, in a world where – We've got a lot of uh, reflexive actions and um, statements online and from a bunch of keyboard warriors in social media. We don't have strong opinions. And your strong opinions are well-rooted in fact and logic and law, which I appreciate. And I think that's part of why we we connected so well. Uh, But you started a nonprofit, and your nonprofit organization uh, teaches women to... Uh, get out of the victim mentality and I don't want to steal your thunder and explain it away so I'm going to kick over to you to help educate the audience on what it is that you do and then we'll take the conversation from there so tell us what you do are you sure you want to do that I, I like to talk a lot it, well it if, if I if I don't stop I won't stop so this is part <laughs> of being a good host is letting your guests talk <laughs> Well, I am a, I am a domestic violence survivor. Um, my uh, well, the, the last incident I should say uh, of, of that happened. Um, gosh, 12, 13 years ago. I'd have to sit down and look at it's. It's been a busy month. Um, <laughs> to, I have to look back at the numbers. I don't even remember how long I've been married to my husband. <laughs> so I have to rely on him for that. Um, so I, I I had always in some way wanted in my retirement um to work with with domestic violence um survivors and the the idea of what i thought it was going to be and what it ended up being are are two different things i'm not an exceptionally religious woman um but i i do very much have a deep spiritual uh belief that everything you're put into a path that you're supposed to be on Mm -hmm. and i just um here in in washington state last year we had a um a law passed that if you're familiar with firearms and the firearm industry at all um, and any of the gun control laws that are that are uh, have been put forward um, in, in the past few years um, I 1639 watched a state made national news uh, because the governor here was very big on wanting to be you know um, acknowledged for having um, one of the strictest gun control laws in, in the country or some of the strictest gun control laws in the country and in this particular law, 
there is a component that's written in that says when you apply for your firearm, which is a background check. So for anyone that owns, owns a firearm, you understand there's a, a form you have to fill. It's called a 4473. Um, now in Washington State, when you fill out that form, the minute you sign it, it's a waiver of your medical records, including your mental health care records. Which is which is why I'm having you on here because uh, for those of you who followed us on Noggin Notes in the last several months, you'll know that Zephyr Wellness, which is the company that I co-own, and Walk the Talk America, uh, which is founded out of Las Vegas, have tried to merge the cultures of gun ownership and mental health because what we're seeing is an emerging trend of firearms owners who are afraid to come in and get counseling for their ailments because they're afraid they might lose their firearms ability, uh, sorry, ownership ability. And what's that? what that's resulting in is people under so much distress that they're literally killing themselves with their own firearms because they're too afraid to go get help. And that's not okay. So we, we need to try to fix that. So I appreciate that you, you mentioned that. Like the access to medical records or the waiver to get into medical records is really important because forever – Medical records were completely confidential unless the patient signed a release to have them sent somewhere. Right. And, yeah, and, and thank you for that, and I appreciate it. And, you know, and that was part of what, what uh, made us um, immediately become BFFs is I – I mean, the look on your face and when you kind of that, like your head exploded because I am bringing a whole new level of conversation surrounding the mental health care and the firearms thing that, that I've, I've literally had um, U.S. senators, um, you know, not – not get so um and I, so i'm bringing in a really unique perspective with that so i spoke out about this law and what it does to domestic violence victims and sometimes and, and and i know that you you can appreciate this and probably most people if they if they you know get political at all and i i'm not going to make this political but you understand that sometimes the way these laws are written isn't so much the issue as how they're not written mm-hmm. and that's done intentionally um, so that they can have a vague, arbitrary, uh, they have the vague, arbitrary ability to kind of do what, to manipulate the, the people and do what they want. So that's exactly what this is. So my concern was I, as a, a domestic violence survivor who did what she was supposed to do, and I went through all of the health care, the mental health care that I needed, I had severe PTSD. I had, which, by the way, fun fact, um, yes, does happen to other people. Um, I, this is a mental health care podcast, so I know I probably don't have to say that, but um, it's often and most like, most associated with veterans, And but it can happen to anybody for anything, and, and mine was so severe that I actually experienced paralysis, um, and not in sleep. There wasn't sleep paralysis. It was, I would have severe, I mean, it manifested in one of them to therapy. I had uh, I would wake up from one of these nightmares where my ex was Carrie, trying to murder me. Carrie, hang on. Your your whole thing broke up right after paralysis. Ah, crap. Okay. Sorry. So you had some... Let's okay. start with... So um, I would wake up... Am yeah. I am I good now? There you go. Okay. I would wake up from nightmares fully awake and conscious, and my vocal cords were paralyzed, and I couldn't scream or talk, or my legs were paralyzed, and I couldn't get out of the bed. So um, this wasn't sleep paralysis like most people think, and, and, and I've, I've met very few people that have heard of it um, or experienced or, you know, other PTSD, uh, PTSD um, uh, sufferers, sufferers, yeah, sufferers, yeah that, that have experienced that particular level of it. So 
Um, it sent me to therapy. I actually went through the, I know I've come to understand, controversial EMDR therapy. It's, it's not that controversial. I think it's becoming more mainstream. It, it was a while ago, but I think it's more mainstream now. Uh, it's well, very, I went very effective. It about 10 years ago. Yeah, that's about when it was emerging, we'll say. Yeah. And well, interestingly enough, which I learned, I did, I did some research on it. It actually started in like, like the lady that invented it, it was in the seventies or something crazy mm-hmm. like that, but, True. um, and, uh, worked with veterans and things. But, um, one of the things that I think that just side note on this, uh, asterisk, but no, um, <laughs> is that if, if in fact you, if there are any, um, patients that are, that are listening to this, if you in fact make the decision to go through this, please understand that even if you're a um, clinician who may be great at, at providing that service may not necessarily communicate very clearly to you how important it is to understand that you're going to get worse before you get better. That's because literally it takes you the, way back. You're right. That's literally and, the first paragraph of our disclaimer, by the way, at, at Zephyr. Oh, good. Because yeah. that was not communicated to me. <laughs> That's a so poor I, informed consent. Yeah, it was really not not good. And so um, I was so locked up that she actually had to do all of these other kind of fringe type treatments and stuff. And we'll talk about that sometime, but it was a trip. So I... So, Long story short, I went. I have PTSD on my medical record because I did what I was supposed to do, and I went to get help. So my concern was, what about all of these other victims now that have PTSD on their record? Are they going to be denied a firearm purchase when they're perfectly healthy later on in life? That's that's not acceptable um, because there's no criteria written into this law that says what they will approve, what they will deny, um, what's acceptable, what's not. I, I know some people have rolled their eyes at me at this. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend had a double mastectomy from breast cancer and had her, you know, all of it taken. And um, she has to take a medication for hormone um, balance, and it's classified in the antidepressant category. Now, I know those of you in the mental health care field, well, medical field, period, understand that many medications cross over they're in one classification, but they're used used in other ways, particularly like smoking cessation and sleeping medications and those types of things. And so could she be denied? Because this all they're looking at, they're not looking at the circumstances around why she's taking it. They're just going to see that she takes an antidepressant. There's no criteria that, that says whether that's going to, you know, what will be approved and not approved or what's acceptable. Furthermore, um, it's this whole HIPAA violation, obviously, but it goes into it can they can continue to it opens it up so that they can look at your records every year, and there's no criteria on how far back they can look. So wow. they can look back 50 years if they want. Yeah, and that's that loophole thing, right? That's that whole thing about how it's not. It's like people kind of look at me confused sometimes when I say it's not how it's written; it's how it's not written. And you know, the and again, I apologize for getting political, but there is a component, uh, you know, with policy, right, or lack of uh, lack of the abundance of poorly written policy is what I should say. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, these are the problems with the people that are writing policy is that they don't understand the layers of these things. So, um, that concerns me. So then, um, you, you, I, I spoke out about that. It went viral and here I am, um, you know, domestic violence, um, advocate in the gun community <laughs> that I never expected there would be. So I have a nonprofit. It's called weed a female. And we go in and we teach defensive mindset and um, situational awareness and, and focusing on trying to teach women how not to need to defend themselves to begin with with a physical weapon um, because they're using their mind to defend themselves from getting themselves in a situation 
to, to begin with. And, you know, where most, I, you know, I don't have a hard statistic, but I would say that it's very safe to say that probably 90 to 95% of any situation that you are going to need to defend yourself with a firearm or a knife or martial art or whatever, you're probably going to be able to get out of if you're aware of your surroundings and you have, uh, you reprogram your mind in a way to, to watch and, and not put yourself in the situation to begin with. Yeah. I think so we, Oh, let me let me jump in real quick. This is a yeah. good time to plug your Instagram because you got you got a We the Female Instagram, which I really appreciate. And okay. one of the things that popped out to me that I'd never considered, um, and I worked security for many years. I I I was uh, a bouncer did, at a bar. Yes, but I also did other things like consults on how uh, people could secure their places of business or their homes uh, more effectively, you know, cutting uh, bushes away and more clear space, that kind of thing. Um, But something I had never considered that you posted on your uh, on your Instagram, which was where to stand when pumping gas. And oh, yeah. I thought that was fascinating. And all, all my years of, of security and, and some law enforcement exposure, I've come from a family full of cops. Um, I, I had never considered how uh, risky it is to stand between your car and the pump when, yeah. when pumping gas. And, I, and um, if you wouldn't mind, we could birdwalk this just a little bit because I, I, that yeah. popped out to me. It was really interesting. Yeah. You know, there's a few of them on there that people have said that. There's little things, you know, one of my favorites in my classes too, because I'll, I'll walk you through that one, but um, is how many exits are in your Target? How Correct. many exits are in your Walmart that you visit every day? Right. They've got that information. I mean, you know, you're, you're much more likely to be hit by lightning twice in your lifetime than you are to, to actually, contrary to what the media wants you to believe, than to be shot in a mass shooting. But Absolutely. you're likely to get caught uh, if there's an earthquake or a fire or, you know, a boyfriend behind the bakery counter loses it and comes out chasing everybody, you know, in the night. So how do you get out of those situations? And, and so, um, but with the gas thing, yeah. So you want to, um, you know, gas stations are, I mean, if you, once you kind of start exploring this, which, by the way, you'll feel, you'll get a little paranoid initially. Take a breath. You'll be cool. You'll get over that. It's, it's just a part of the evolution of, of, cha- of changing how your mind works. But um, you gas stations are a very common place for assaults, uh, kidnappings, um, shootings, um, you know, not even necessarily directed at you. you well, know? Just, you and just robber- robberies, too, right? So, like, if you're, if you're yes. cornered, you got a, you got a, a gas line behind you nothing in front of you but a car and a and you're flanked by a car and a pump it's really easy for exactly. somebody to come come up and be like hey give me your wallet you know it's like well what are you gonna do like <laughs> exactly and you know and then it's so so most and most people and i will say women and yes there is some gender bias with this um you know which is you know the feminism piece true feminism which is a whole other rabbit hole that you and i could go down at some point which might be kind of fun we could um <laughs> because there's there's there is some psychological stuff with some of this newer philosophy thing, but um, you know, uh, women tend to be a little bit more hypersensitive to these types of things because we're programmed to be because of what, you know, some of, some of the gender inequalities that do exist uh, with, with mindset um, and because we're programmed to learn these things. And it's so basically when you're, when you're pumping gas, Take your keys out of your car, lock the car, because um, while you are pumping gas, somebody could, you know, easily get into your car. They could open the car and just take your purse or anything else that's in there from the other side. Um, if you're oblivious, if your head is down texting, which we see often, even with people pumping gas, it's easy for them to do. Um, a lot of people leave their car door open 
while they're pumping gas and, and looking at their phones and they don't see that somebody, you know, they just, that's how people are like Costco parking lots great to watch how oblivious people are. But, um, <laughs> so you want, right. So you lack because it's true. If, and anybody that's listening to this, they'll think, Oh crap, you're right. I mean, like <laughs> it's just, they're in the airport airport. <laughs> yeah. It's like the matrix when you become enlightened to this kind of living and you, you, you live this mindset of the lifestyle and you start watching people. It's not only do you see, uh, you know, you start watching for, for threats yourself, but you start to see, oh, I don't want to be near that person if some stuff goes down because that person is actually going to hinder my safety. You know, it gets, you'll get really leveled up. So always keep your, your rear end or your backside to, to your car um, and while you're pumping gas. And what we call um, in situational awareness is keep your head on a swivel. You always want to be turning that head 180 degrees. You want to be looking left. You want to be looking right at all times. Um, for any potential threats, any anything that could possibly happen. I have a story. Um, I believe I saved it. I need to go back of one of my uh, volunteers, actually, who probably very likely prevented an assault, uh, um, A, because she paid attention, and more so because, well, she paid attention and, and, and caught it, pulled her firearm out, and I don't know if the person saw that she actually was armed or not, but the fact that she was aware um, – most likely prevented us all at a gas station because she used those techniques. So, um, yeah. And once you're done pumping, you put it back, you get in your car, lock your car, drive away immediately. Start putting your seatbelt on as you, as you drive away. Don't sit and wait. Don't give yourself a reason to sit idle. Um, because when you do, you make yourself a victim. So, so. let me, let me play devil's advocate here on sure. two points. Cause I know you like this kind of you're stuff. You're wrong, Jake. <laughs> So oh boy, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, I'm kidding, people. It's my male privilege. So if you if you're advocating for people to have situational awareness, uh, and they can think their way I'm I'm obviously overstating this. They can think their way out of things. Uh, why is it so bad that they don't have to carry firearms? Why why is why is that a problem? So you want to be able you mean why if they're able to do that, why do they need a firearm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because, because there will be situations, my friend at the gas station, for example, um, she prevented that. I, I, I have to go back and read. I actually have the information cause she actually posted it on the social media. Um, I, I believe, and that's why I mentioned that because I believe he probably saw her get her firearm and actually, uh, holster cause she had left it, in her, you know, had it in her car. Um, and so I'll holster it. But there will be incidences where you can recognize the threat and you may not be able to get out of that threat. And so you need to be able to defend yourself if you're put in the unlikely event that that happens. But there will be situations where you are not able to remove yourself or it escalates so quickly that you recognize it too late and you're going to need to be in a position to defend yourself. So we like to say that um, your situational awareness and your defensive mindset is your plan A and your firearm or other means of self-defense because, you know, not everybody wants a firearm and that's okay. And I, if for people that aren't comfortable with a firearm, I don't want them owning one. Um, there's many other ways that you can defend yourself. It just, I personally feel like that is one of the most effective and one of the most powerful equalizers for women Particularly because we can use them at a distance quickly, so if the, needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the The other uh, devil's advocate point is that, um, okay, so you're you're a domestic violence survivor. Uh, you're you're home, happy, healthy now. You're training people how to uh, be self aware. They're progressing in life. Um, 
I, I would say, what's the big deal about people seeing that in your background? If they if they check your background, they see that you've gone through this uh, treatment and uh, you've you've recovered. So what? Well, right, and and I I, I I get you. You mean in terms of why they would deny me for a firearm? Is that what you're asking? No, no, no. Well, yeah, that. But I mean, because let's be honest. Like, if you're in a database somewhere, it's not just for firearms. It's going to go elsewhere. And so oh, basically what sure. you're doing is you're, yeah. you're surrendering your, uh, confidential medically, uh, right. necessitated, uh, access to records to whatever database it's stored in at the state. We'll just pretend Washington state has a really robust, uh, you know, uh, electronic database that can see these things. And Oh, by the way, that's, we're playing this out because we're devil's advocating this thing. But as a clinician, sure. if, if Nevada were to pass a law similar I don't know that I would sign on to that because I would stand firmly pat on the very contradictory law in my own uh, Nevada revised statute code that says um, thou shalt not share stuff with other people unless authorized by the client. So you'd have two contradictory laws. There would probably be a lawsuit that would have to be decided by the Nevada Supreme Court. But then ultimately it would go federal because we have HIPAA protections too. So, um, But in this artificial circumstance where Washington State passes this law and um, let's say that I, as the clinician, dump all my sh- my my stuff into this database. I almost swore on my own podcast <laughs> and there. You I know. I almost swore on my own podcast. Um, but I but I dump all your all your information in this database. Uh, you're pretending is that nobody has access to that except for uh, federal firearms license owners uh, who can sell uh, guns, right? that's not really true there's there's always going to no. be somebody else who who sees it being the per, be that the person who uploads it or the person who maintains the database or whatever and there and because right. they're not clinicians they might not be subject to hipaa protections because they don't have license to practice or whatever it is so what yeah you got some treatment yeah whatever who cares that, that they see it healthy now right what's the what's the big right. deal so but what is healthy Right. And so there's there's many components to this. And this will roll into um, and something I'd really like to address, which is a bigger concern, is the, is the what we call the ERPOs or red flag laws. Um, and we'll, we can kind of transition to that in a minute. With ER, so, ERPO, so, by so the way, I, means ex, uh, extreme risk protection order for correct. those of you who aren't interest, uh, aren't up on the lingo. So they so so the, the concern is, is that PTSD in particular and this is going to play into what Walk the Talk America does and why um, I'm passionate about what they do. PTSD, I mean, depression, anxiety, all of them, but particularly PTSD is a button right now. It's a hot political button. It's a hot policy button. Um, it's been very demonized. And um, for being um, uh, the, the individuals that have it are unstable um, and are, are able to, you know, react um, in a negative way to impact themselves or others, um, you know, not, not true, by rapidly. the way, not, not true, by the way, I want to, I want to make sure that we're, we're identifying myths, right? So correct. P- I mean, so, right. That's, that's a blanketed thing because mm-hmm. there's no criteria in that law that says, um, untreated, treated, you know, how long it's been, you know, they're literally lumping everything into PTSD. And then back to your point when they said, you know, Margaret behind the counter, who gets this background check, right? This, it, so right now we, now we have to submit. So with a firearm purchase, you submit what's called to NICS, which is the, there's, I'm, ah, I'm going to choke. Which 4473 is, it goes with the NICS system. It's a federal FBI system. I cannot remember the acronym. <laughs> I choked. Um, 
So, but in that, it, that it's the, the instant check. criminal so fact, background way, check. Yeah, instant yeah, criminal so, background check. So, fun fact, y'all, um, you are in fact background checks. Federal background checks do in fact already exist. So, when these politicians are telling you they don't, they do. Um, so now we also have to submit to our local city or county police department as well, where they check, and that's where that that HIPAA violation happens, right? That's where all of that starts to happen. So, you know, Margaret you know, behind the counter in the, the sheriff's office or at the state department, you know, down at Washington State in the office where they're pulling this information, she has no concept of what PTSD is other than it's PTSD and can deny a firearm because there is no criteria written in. There's no definitions. There's no understanding about successful treatment or somebody who is, you know, having, um, they're in an, you're having a moment, right? They're having an episode or they're, you know, or the, they've been triggered or... or, or and I'll float this out there uh, to impugn my own kind, they were inaccurately diagnosed. Right. I mean, that's a whole other level, you know, of, of that. And so there is, it, that goes back to that statement, which um, seems to be kind of sticking with people. And I mentioned it, that doesn't, that is kind of a new concept to them. I said, it's not how it's written, it's how it's not written. And and it's literally, you know, does <laughs> this is always my, that makes people laugh. I'm like, so, you know, did Margaret wake up on the wrong side of the bed? She's crabby, didn't get her coffee, and didn't change her hormone patch that day, and now she sees PTSD and screw you? Or is right? she, she's not looking at anything or, else. Or is right? she, totally. well, I, I hate that she's Margaret. Like, it feels like we're picking on Margaret. She could be Susie. It's always Susie and she's, Timmy, well, right? It's Karen. Susie and right? Timmy. Bit. It's Karen. It's always Karen, isn't but, it? <laughs> but she could, but this 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 person behind the counter right. um, exactly. could be could be racist, sexist. Right. Uh, gender biased. Uh, they, they they could they could be they could lean themselves toward lots of things that have nothing at all to do with the allegedly objective evaluation of your uh, medical history. And let's let's take it out of the realm of mental health for a second. I know that we're sure. in a mental health podcast, and we and this is a, a hot topic for people listening, probably because it's like, well, I don't I don't want my depression treatment to prevent me from buying a firearm, especially let's say if you're a Reno police officer and you move up to Spokane and you, you do a lateral transfer, but in Reno, you got some treatment for your depression after your, say, uh, critical incident where there's an officer involved shooting. Now, all of a sudden, Spokane's going to deny you the ability to uh, possess a firearm, which literally impacts the way you do your job. Now, are you going to go Correct. like work at Costco, even though you wanted to be a cop for your, the rest of your life? So right. there's there's lots of far-reaching implications on this, but let's take it out of the mental aspect for a second. This is all medical records. Am I correct in hearing that? So, well, it's, 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 no, it's your criminal records too. I mean, so well, that yeah, goes but, back but to I mean, Nick's, right? If you've got a felony, you can't, you know, but they're, but they're pulling in, they're pulling in medical records, which means right, correct. now all of a sudden, if, uh, if I had a, a broken arm or a torn rotator cuff or, uh, I had a knee surgery, uh, somebody could arbitrarily deny me for that based on the idea that maybe, uh, <laughs> poor Margaret, uh, Margaret, <laughs> Margaret looks at this and goes, you know, I don't think knee surgery uh, qualifies somebody as competent or physically capable of handling a firearm, or maybe it's a hand surgery. You know, because that's a little more close to close in proximity to actually handling a weapon and pulling the trigger. Sure, and yet, ironically, those physical things are are you know, which some of them could you know, I mean, obviously they're they're attacking the mental side of why you couldn't handle a firearm properly. Um, which is back to demonizing mental health, but, you know, whereas, like, you know, if you literally crushed your hand, you probably wouldn't, could hurt somebody trying to fire, operate a firearm if you're, if you didn't have full recovery in your hand. So, and yet that's not, that's not addressed. Yeah, so, so, so know, it's, it's all basically focused on mental health and with the concept that, you know, and these theories are brought into place by the whole idea that, um, 
you know, and, and this is where the gun culture itself uh, kind of bites themselves a little bit, I, I think, in that they say, um, well, it, it's not the gun, it's the person. It's because the person was crazy or the person had mental health issues or, you know, and, and then they start to demonize that. Well, that just then turns around and perpetuates people not going to get help when you have, oh, I think the most recent um, CDC thing I just saw was 70% in 2017. Um of, of firearm deaths. I thought it was 66. I just saw one of us. Well, either 66, 70%. I've seen two of those statistics recently of all, of all firearm deaths in America are suicides. Suicides. So, yeah. yeah so you've got, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of, they get themselves in this circle, right? That they can't get themselves. And I'm talking about like, like the, the gun, the pro gun control advocates and the 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 gun the anti gun control right the, the gun community they kind of get themselves into this circle, and that's what's so cool about what you uh, um, Jake not at State Farm at Jake Zephyr not Wellness State <laughs> um, and and Walk the Talk America doing it they're trying to to basically fill that gap in that that language and 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 just knowledge that lack of knowledge between those two things and. So, um, enter me, uh, a domestic violence survivor, and I ended up bringing a whole new level to this because so many people talk about, you know, the mental health of mass shooters, and they talk about veterans, right? Because veterans and suicide is a big deal. And mm-hmm. that, I'm not dismissing that. That is legitimately a big deal because we have really not done our veterans a service, uh, um, you know, by taking care of them the way that the way we should be. But there's a huge disconnect with with. PTSD, anxiety, and depression, and things with uh, um, domestic violence, and then the ability for a domestic violence survivor to defend herself. So, um, when I, one of the things that's so important to me in my program and when I'm teaching my, my workshops is we go through all of these things to not need a weapon, and we even talk about the the you know the you know the, the levels of, of awareness and how you stand those in those levels and. And, um, when, you know, how to start training your mind, you know, like to start running yourself through mental scenarios because, you know, your, your brain is a muscle, right? So if you want to train, you need to train your, your brain just like you would any other muscle to be able to react. And so you can do that with situational awareness as well as, you know, to be able to pull up my arm or to, to use martial arts or a knife or whatever. Um, so you get to, so say for example, like we're going through my workshop we're, we're going up to the point where, okay, so then we talk about weapons right physical weapons and what those options are and then we go over what the pros and cons of each of those are because i don't tell people what to pick i personally am program that does not mean that it first of all it's not my business to tell anybody else how they choose to defend themselves and end a story that's never anybody else's way to tell so i really don't like the attitude of everybody needs a gun because that's ignorant and naive and oppressive um personally i I think i appreciate you saying that yeah no worries because it's again it goes back to if you're scared to own a gun do not own one find a method for you that that makes that i just want you to be safe so what does that mean for you let's let's explore what that means for you so we go over those but one of the big components and i i i had a a small piece of this and 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 kind of was able to expand upon uh, expand upon it um after meeting michael and walk to talk america is um, adding, so I have a whole component in my program, which most situational awareness programs don't, not that I've seen, I mean, I'm sure there's one that does, but um, where I cover rights and responsibilities before, during, and after a crisis situation, and that's what we call them, we don't call them a shooting, because it could be any other thing, right, it doesn't, it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily Mm -hmm. shooting, so um, how do you, you know, what are your responsibilities, particularly surrounding firearm ownership prior to a crisis situation, 
What are your responsibilities, um, you know, during a crisis situation to yourself and the people around you? Um, and then after, you know, including, um, you know, and then what, what are your rights? You know, what, what do you, and it's important that people do understand, uh, understand what their legal rights are. And most people don't. So, um, because understanding what your rights are could literally mean the difference between a conviction, um, when you're innocent or not. And, you know, and depending on how you approach it and handle it. And it was an interesting case out of, out of Texas recently. We can talk about that later, about the, the old guy that they shot the guy in his backyard and went back to bed before he called the cops because the guy took off. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't. It's actually kind of – yeah, we'll talk. It's yeah. actually kind of – it's, it's fascinating. Let's, and it's kind let's of stick on this for a second. We can birdwalk a lot of things. Yeah, so it, it, it's cool. It's actually it's, – it's definitely more about your rights and stuff. But um, so then – but one of the big ones for me that I added in there and that we talked about at length is what are your responsibilities to yourself and to your family and to the police, you know, or, or the investigators or whatever after a crisis situation? So if you have to take lethal action against somebody – so, you know, shooting is, is it the easiest one to use in, the, in this particular situation, right? Somebody breaks into your home. They're threatening your life, your family's life. Right. Because let them take your TV. Right. Mm-hmm. No, no object mm-hmm. in your house is worth anybody's life. So this whole philosophy that's pushed by gun control advocates that every human being that owns a gun, you know, with this coming. Right. There's those few people that are this come and take it or I dare you to try to break into my house. Crap. There very few of us actually have that attitude. You know, take everything in my house. If you want it, I don't care. I can replace it. I cannot replace my daughter's life. I cannot replace my life. So you can have everything, but you cannot have my life. So, and that's, and that's vital. And we, as a gun culture need to stop with the extremist, you know, come and take it kind of, you know, whatever, because that's, that's not helping the situation. Okay. Thank you for coming to my carry talk on that one. But anyway, so, <laughs> so the, uh, so, which is something I advocate for inside the gun culture. You know, I, I do it outside with it, with what I do here. And then I, I do some of this inside about trying to change that paradigm. So, but one of the biggest components is what do you do about your mental health care? You need to make sure that you are getting some sort of health care mentally for you and your family. Even if they're not home during that incident, you, I don't care how tough you think you are. I don't care how, how big and bad, whatever. I have seen some of the strongest, biggest, you know, most intimidating looking grown men who have literally been on the front lines in Afghanistan will look you in the face and tell you, you know, yes, you're doing what you have to do, but the minute that you take the air out of somebody else's lungs, that's going to affect you mentally. I don't care how cool or how tough you think you are, you are going to be affected by taking someone's life, even if you are justified in doing it. So what are you doing for yourself and your mental health to be able to take care of yourself and your family so that you can progress progress healthily and one of those things um is after the investigation is done is immediately get somebody in your home to help restore your home hmm. um because people, yeah because people don't think right if you're gonna shoot somebody in your home or stab them I mean, yeah. it's probably not going to be the cleanest you know what i mean and, and and letting that sit is going to negatively impact your your emotional state right your your um your mental health so um that's an important um component to making sure that you are are mentally healthy but then what are you doing? You're literally putting yourself right back into that loophole or that, that I shouldn't say that loophole, that, that, that dangerous circle of not wanting to go get mental health care because you don't want it on your record to be used against you in any way, but particularly to have maybe your firearms taken away. Well, and, and, and today it's firearms and we don't know what tomorrow may bring, you know, there, there right. may be, well, yeah, I mean, that's a whole, 
the minute the day you want to start a a, a political podcast, let me know. We'll have that conversation. But <laughs> yeah, no, but it, but but see, the thing is, it's a real fear. Like I don't I don't care to make it political. Uh, you know, right versus left or whatever it is. Right, the it, the idea is not. that there's we we have a constitution in this country and it means something and laws mean something and regardless of how they're passed or who passes them or whether we agree with them is irrelevant um we we need to respect and obey them and if we have a a, a constitutional right to keep and bear arms uh that says any you know and and there's been court cases that have decided that it's an individual right not a collective right and all this stuff so today as we're recording Hello. this yeah, yeah, By the way, yeah, sure. DC versus Heller. Okay, we, yeah, yeah, DC for those for those that are wanting those DC versus Heller, and that's the most recent case. Yeah, so an individual has a right to own firearms. All right, so that's a constitutional right. But then we take it down to something like um, driving, which is a privilege, not a right. And the and the state grants you the privilege to to drive so long as you're competent and you take the tests and all that stuff. And then the state also grants you lots of other privileges, like the ability to work in a profession such as mine. The state gives me a license. The state gives barbers a license. They give lots of people licenses to do things, contractors and engineers and so on and so forth. Well, if your records are in a repository and state government can say, you know what, we've evaluated you to be defective in this area uh, mentally such that you're not capable of owning a firearm, where else might they draw that line? Is it around a career? Uh, would, would, might they take your license if they look into your they, whoever they may be, Margaret? <laughs> um, Poor Margaret. <laughs> look, looks, looks into your background and says, hey, you know what? <sighs> Joe's operating scissors in that barber shop, and you know he's been treated with PTSD or for PTSD in the past, and maybe he's just not stable enough to hold scissors because scissors can, can. I mean, you're right there right. next to a guy's throat, like, and and oh my gosh, he shaves too. He he performs shaving services, and that's a razor. And uh, you know, you just never know when Joe's going to snap. So maybe he just doesn't need to be a barber anymore. Like, I'm not a big fan of slippery slope arguments. Um, because they could be repeated ad infinitum to the pleasure of whoever's um, authoring them. And yet they still bear, bear merit when we're talking about the, the individual liberty restriction of somebody to um, exercise their ability to work, uh, provide for themselves, defend themselves. Uh, and something interesting that you shared with me that I never considered before too, which is that the Second Amendment of the United States is uh, the, the the right of citizens to keep and bear arms never mentioned firearms. And I thought that was fascinating. Like, you, you brought that to my yeah. attention. I'd never heard that before, that an arm to defend oneself could be a billy club. Anything. It could be yeah. a rock. It could be anything. So... Um, yeah. we, we sent, we tend to centralize on firearms because they're, they're big and sexy and, and they do lots they're of fun. click, clickbait things for the media. And yeah, I yeah, of course they're fun and, and on all that stuff. But, um, we, we could re like a nefarious entity could really run this out, uh, to, to quite a gain if there's, you know, financial incentive to be obtained or power to be obtained or, or any sorts of things. And, and, um, you know, maybe we're restricting driver's licenses now based on mental health records, which is super scary. Like, I don't, right. I don't want that. And do I think, you know, there's depressed people driving around who are suicidal, who, you know, are operating a motor vehicle, maybe shouldn't be. But yeah, probably. Uh, do we necessarily need, uh, to be reaching in and, uh, restricting their ability to, to get around town? I don't know if that's necessary, but it's a conversation that's not being had. And as long as it's not being had, uh, we don't really know. And I think that's the fear that a lot of people have about 
the firearms thing, and this this might just be the tip of the um, potential iceberg, is like, well, firearms are sexy. They kill people. Uh, it's sensationalized. Uh, mass shootings, school shootings, blah, 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 death, you know, dismemberment, clickbait. Uh, we're driving a lot of advertising through this. And so, yeah, let's let's stop the firearms. Well, the, all right, let's pretend that that goes away for whatever reason. And then something else surfaces. Maybe it's vaping. You know, it's like, oh, well, oh vaping's yeah, bad. And, yeah, what's going on with that and, now? All right, so you can... We, we don't you regulate know. vaping. Nobody regulates vaping. Uh, I know the tobacco industry is trying to get it because why? Because then they can control the whole industry. So, you know, let's regulate vaping uh, to our implements and, and get rid of everybody else's implements right, so that right. we squeeze out competition. Like, so there's there's lots of nefarious ways that, that either are fomented by profiteering or power and control that could restrict rights and individual liberties and so on and so forth, all under the auspices of, quote unquote, the public good. So I think it should startle people at least that their individual mental health treatment could be um, thrown into some repository to be accessed later for the, per- for the sole purpose of not, not protecting people but restricting rights. And here's the, here's the real crux of it for me as a clinician. I take great umbrage at the fact that people are talking about mental illness as though it's permanent. And that really rankles yeah. me because if it is then my profession ceases to exist. I'm out of a job and people will never heal, which is complete crap. And uh, it's not something we would ever subscribe to because if we did, then everybody would just stay the same and we'd all just slowly deteriorate and we could never recover and there's no such thing as resilience, which we all know is not true. So it startles me that we would have such a, you know, Washington is obviously, you know, we're picking on Washington here because they, they're the ones that passed the law, but like all your, your medical records go into this repository now uh, to be accessed for whatever purpose government deems. This just happens to be firearms. You're, you're a firearms person. We're talking to you and that's, that's the bailiwick right now, but it could be any number of things where government goes, ah, I don't know, man, you're boy, your hip surgery a while back. I don't know if you should be driving that car. Like, well, what, wait, wait, why? Well, you might lose control of the gas pedal. You know, we've had a, a series of people doing that lately who have all had hip surgeries. And, yeah, people with hip surgeries probably shouldn't drive. And it's like, whoa, no, I've recovered. Yeah, we forgot to write that into the law. <laughs> right. Yeah, and now and now, guess what? Now we have, now you, right, burden is on you, individual, that we're taking that right away to go back and send us all of the information that we need for, to be able so that you can prove to us that you're competent, yeah. competent, safe, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You need to go back now and prove to us that, that this is, you know, that you're, you're acceptable, even though our system is the one that, you know, is, is screwed up. So, and, and if I may be, because we're getting a little long here and I don't, and we're getting a little into the weeds, I want to bring this back around to domestic violence. So you're a survivor, you lead other survivors. You're highly well-regarded as somebody who's a hard charging, um, take, take no, you are, I mean, you got like what, 8,700 followers on Instagram or something. I think I have like 200. No, I don't have that many, but I do have a pretty big reach. Like I have a, I have a pretty active reach. Point, point being Um, Carrie, you, uh (laughs) the point being Carrie that you, (laughs) you are doing something. People are following you. You have an impact. You've got a little bit of a celebrity status of sorts, which I think is admirable and to be respected. Um, but you're, you're sending a message that, um, I think is a little bit out of the mold, which is, uh, and I'll let you talk a little bit more about this, but there's a, there seems to be an emerging trend and you keep using the word survivor and, and I I spoke with our, our safe embrace folks here locally, uh, Jessica and John about this in a different podcast. Um, the word survivor is now starting to supplant and replace the word victim because it, it encourages that you, 
you're, first of all, you're not being victimized. You're not handing over your control to somebody else. It's not externally located. Um, but it, it speaks to resilience and growth and, and evolution. And when we're talking about DV and, and sexual assault, which sometimes are, are hybridized, uh, when we're talking about domestic violence and your ability to overcome it, I think it's really important that you're surrounded by the, the narrative that says you as an individual have the power to overcome things. And the reason that we're diving into the weeds on all this, like, you know, gun restriction stuff and background checks and mental health stuff is because the more the net tightens on the resources that you're allowed to get, because there's either a perceived or a real threat to your individual liberties, the less likely you are to recover. Am I close? Yes. Um, there is a, a, a piece of that. And, um, but also, um, which goes into the whole, um, like the, the red flag law thing. So yes, there, yes, absolutely. You're, you're less likely to recover. Um, I, and I want to, I want to make a note, a comment on the word victim versus, um, survivor. I think that that survivor can, I, which by the way, I, I, I am, I mean, I, I survived my incident. I'm, I have a wonderful husband and a daughter who is, um, you know, who was there when it happened. It was her father that, that beat me up and, and we are, we are thriving and we're doing great. And, um, you know, so yes, I, I am a survivor and I, and I think that's wonderful. I, I do, however, think that the word can be a little contrived. And I think that yeah. completely ignoring the word victim, um, does not, it's, it's, it's okay to admit that you were a victim to some, of something right, that right. doesn't make you a victim personality. Yeah. There's a difference between playing the victim and being yes, a victim and being a victim. And, and that's, yeah, I'll tell you sometimes Jake about that. My husband, like, cause I'm always like, I'm not a victim. He's like, sometimes you're a victim of something. And right. you know, cause I have very, totally. so I struggled with that because I, I have, I'm, I'm anti-victim mentality almost to a fault. Um, where I, I lack empathy for people that have any, like if I could just sniff it in the wind, I'm like, uh, uh-uh, I'm not dealing with these people. <laughs> so, so I, and, and that's, that's my cross to carry and, and something I, I work on with trying to, to be a little bit more um, empathetic to it. But, um, so, so I struggle with that, but I do, I do think that not by not just acknowledging it, that, that you're also not giving it the, the impact or the power that it. Oh, absolutely. Have. Absolutely. I think, I think that it's a, it's a matter of language and in America, uh, well, English in particular, we, we just, we, we lack the ability to emphasize temporary versus permanent in the way that we talk about things. So when you say yeah. victim, it's like, I am a victim. Well, it goes down to the, the root of uh, yeah. the, the, the verb to be. And, yeah. and we don't have a permanent and a temporary to be in English like they have in other languages. So, so when you say I am, it all sounds permanent. Um, yeah. and, and it speaks to uh, characterological issues rather than just this thing, this event that happened and now it's gone. So uh, yeah. I would encourage and people to, of course, by our media, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and being able to use that. So yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, one of the things I'd like to touch on, um, with this, if you're okay before we, um, cause we are, cause I see people, Jake and I can just go like, this is we could. <laughs> people can hardly get a go board and edgewise in our conversations because we can talk for hours about these things. Um, but one of, one of the things I do want to bring some awareness to that concerns me deeply is this red flag law issue with, with domestic violence survivors. Um, domestic violence survivors are very commonly used by gun control advocates um, for, as a way to justify gun control laws. Um, one of the statistics they throw out is, in, you know, in mental health, I know you all love 
uh, you know, for the side that understands what statistics are really for what they are, um, you know, is the, uh, you know, a domestic violence victim is five times more likely to be killed if there's uh, a firearm in, in the home by the abuser. Well, five times more likely than, than what? You know, I mean, then her not being able to defend herself because nobody is, you know, paid to have that study. I mean, there's all kinds mm, of, right? nobody's ever talked about the other side of that. So that being said, um, there's, that's one of the things I noticed like coming into this gun, gun culture that I didn't even know existed less than a year ago is, um, you know, for all of the reasons that people have that are very valid and, and justified reasons for, for not, you know, for some of these gun control, the concerns about gun control laws, um, nobody had talked about domestic violence and even the individuals that are domestic violence survivors that have armed themselves nobody had made it a platform and i didn't intend to i it just i like i said it was it was i was blessed with the ability to have this voice when my when my post was shared obviously i knew that i was being given this was my responsibility to take on which i'm i'm okay with so um let me let me be clear i'm a constitutionalist and i do very much believe in the power of and i'm not a party person whatsoever so um, I, I very clearly understand that there is a fundamental due process violation that happens. So when I when I when I talk about my concerns about the, these laws um, on domestic violence victims, I, I'm not discounting the validity also of, of due process and, and when things are arbitrarily taken. That being said, um, when we're talking about red flag laws and we're talking about domestic violence victims, there are multiple layers of concerns that I have as an advocate for these women and, and as a voice for these women um, being being disarmed. So you've got several situations, one of which is um, most, I was looking for a statistic on this and, and it, I ended up in a, this rabbit hole of, you know, you know, predetermined mental health diagnosis, uh, seeking, you know, domestic violence versus what is, you know, diagnosis after. And, and anyway, so, uh, I couldn't nail down a solid statistic, but I'm guessing it's pretty high because most Americans in general have some sort of mental health diagnosis, I think, on their records now uh, on some level. But um, most domestic violence victims um, are going to have some sort of mental health diagnosis on their record, albeit depression, anxiety, PTSD. You know, before they, I like to say, before they, in fact, realize that they need to self-diagnose themselves, that they're, in fact, with an a-hole. I would they concur, have, um, by the way. They have gone through all of this mental, you know, this, this mental health care. So they have all of these things on their record that, you know, they could they could try to go make this purchase. And, and you know, because they, they decided that they're going to need to train, right, and, and make a purchase and, and do what they need to. Because maybe for whatever reason in their mind, they can't get out of their situation. Some women, it is harder to get out of those situations than others, for sure. Um, because they continue to be found or, or whatever. So um, they're, they're, uh, they could be denied. Um that firearm, it could be exposed um, in some way, um, whether inadvertently or overtly, um, and then put them more at risk by their by their um, by their abuser. Um, in a in a red flag law call, which by the way is completely arbitrary, particularly in Washington State, um, my neighbor could call because they hear yelling in the house. Well, we could be playing, you know, a video game or watching a movie or something, and if there's a domestic disturbance call made. All firearms, regardless of who the owner is, comes out of the home for what they've said is a predetermined amount of time. Well, you and I both know that they're not going to hold to that predetermined amount of time. They can't even do it for an arraignment half the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or a traffic ticket, let alone, you know, because they keep delaying stuff. So um, it, it 
all firearms come out dis- disarming the the uh, domestic violence victim. Um, the ad I have a, I always feel like I'm drunk. I always feel like I'm drunk when I say this, but the adjudication. Adjudication. (laughs) Thank you. Like I said, that one is judicial. It makes me feel like I'm drunk when I'm trying to say them. So that process. (laughs) The adjudication process. Adjudication process. Well, I know what it is. I just can't say it. Uh, uh, Puts, you know, so at, at best, let's just say best case scenario, that they're able to go through that process for the, the arrested individual, because, you know, it could be a, a women beat up men, right? Men, one in seven men are, 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 um, are civil, domestic Correct. violent uh, victims as well. So we, if we want to talk holistically and equality, which is a big thing for me, um, we'll say in general. So for that individual to go through that process, let's say the best case scenario that they get it done in, in, in that amount of time, that 96 hours or two weeks or whatever it is, depending on your state, because these are in, in place in other states. Um, the most dangerous time for a domestic violence victim to be re-victimized is within that 72 to 96 hour period of that abuser being arraigned and released. Mm-hmm. And he's angry. He's angry at, or they are angry at their, you know, the, the victim. Uh, because you're, you're right, the victim's the one that put them right. there, of course. Right. Even right. if somebody else called, it's still the victim's fault, Right. So um, they're, they're, these victims are being put in a position to not be able to defend themselves at one of their most vulnerable times in their lives. Um, so that, that in itself is problematic. You add to the layers of that that, you know, she um, goes into, she won't, she'll, you know, she goes and gets mental health care uh, for, her, for her abuse that it could um, – be the cause of her not getting her firearms back and you in a way to defend herself. Uh, one of that happened to one of my volunteers, um, or would have happened to one of my volunteers under a red flag law. Um, fortunately it wasn't in place, although your firearms could have been removed for years. Like people don't realize this red flag law thing. It just has a name now, but it's, it's been in place forever. A few years back, she was trying to get away from her abuser and she hung up on him one night because she was sick of listening to him and turned off her phone and he got pissed off at her and called the police and said that she was suicidal and that she had a gun when in fact she wasn't suicidal. Police show up at her door at 2 a.m. in the morning, scare the hell out of her, you know, and they're doing this welfare check and they, they take her gun. So, right. So now we have a situation where this law can also be used against victims to disarm them. And um, that's that's a very dangerous thing because there is no criteria, um, you know, that's written in. It's just so arbitrary. In addition, what it can do is it can be used against the victim while she's still in her situation, right? So now this this person can um, say, well, if you try to leave me, I'm going to tell the police that you're mentally unstable and you know have your guns taken away. Mm-hmm. Or tell them that you need to be that you need a psyche valve and have that on your record. So now it can also be used against her um, in a way to keep her in that situation. So these are all things that people. Um, I know that. I mean, I know that you and you and I talked initially that uh, you in the mental health care field, a couple of them, you, you didn't consider. I hadn't. Um, no, I had not. I had not considered. Yeah, because people don't they don't think about that with with the DB you know situation, um, but particularly some of these these legislators are certainly not thinking about it. So this isn't for me, you know. When people you know obviously I've thrown into a, a very hotbed political conversation with this, but this isn't even political, right? This is this is a policy issue. This is a lack of of, of 
knowledge and research and uh, using political agenda to write policy that negatively impacts uh, victims. And um, they, they don't care. Like, it's just being railroaded. I have yet to hear anybody else come out locally as I have about the negative impact of, of laws on domestic violence survivors um, in, right, in, in means to defend themselves. They love to make us victims, and they love to keep us continue to be victimized. Like, every policy that's in place puts us in a position to, to perpetuate victim, victimhood as opposed to teaching them how to not be victims. If I'm a, a proponent of red flag laws and I say, well, the whole point is to keep people safe from death. You suck. Okay. No, no, yeah. <laughs> but, but if I say, well, the whole point is to keep people safe from death because guns are instruments of death and harm is less than death. And if I've kept somebody alive, then the red flag law worked because you can heal from a punch. I'm being very, very callous right now. Please understand. I'm, I'm purposely no, 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 doing this. I get what you're saying. And this, you, is a fair, this is a very fair conversation. You can heal now. from a punch. You can heal from psychological manipulation. You can heal from all that stuff, uh, but not if you're dead. So it's better that we remove all the guns from the home. What's what's your comeback? Uh, at what point is that um, that so? Okay, um, I'm going to use the your I'm going to use your lane to come back with this, right? Um, how many? How? Uh, because I know that I was told this um, that there it is a 100 percent chance that you are going that every time that you're continue to be hit, right? Or every, every episode, right? Because it goes in cycles, right? That whole circle of violence. Sure. And every episode, it gets worse every time because they'll continue to push that limit. At what point is that next time going to be death? Great comeback. No, I appreciate that because I, I, I was hoping that I teed it up because I was hoping that would be your response. You and I have never discussed this because we just right. danced around it for a little while because we were distracted at that conference. But I'm, I'm a, I appreciate that you said that because that's exactly where I would go. I, I mean, Zephyr right. Wellness providing the clinical services at Safe Embrace, literally the only place in town that has clinical services at its Sexual and Domestic Violence Resource Center. Um, we see this all the time, and I make that argument. I'm like, well, that's great. So you um, you interrupted the cycle but or you removed some component of it, but that you didn't remove all weapons from the home. Right, and you didn't – and you didn't – break the cycle like i had no one of my, you didn't one break of my social it media interrupted posts. it yeah you're not breaking the cycle so one of my social media posts that had huge impact and, and and i was pissed when i wrote it and i was very emotional which actually ended up working to my advantage was when uh and i i apologize for bringing this to a, a political place but this is very relevant is that beto o'rourke made the comment that we're going to remove and this isn't his ar comment but in his tweets he made comments in reference to, we are going to get rid of these assault weapons. And my response was, you're going to get rid of assault weapons? Are you going to take away my ex-husband's hands that he used to assault me with? Are you going to cut his hands off when he almost killed, when he picked me up off the floor by my throat and held me against a wall? Are you going to take his hands when he fractured my teeth and left me with permanent damage in my tendons that I live with every day of my life? Assault is... A verb it's not a noun and if you cannot continue to manipulate language uh for political agenda with policy that is going to continue to hurt people because an assault is an assault regardless of how it's done my ex-husband was a foot taller and 100 pounds heavier than me and he could have killed me with his hands and almost did 
So it, had there been a firearm in my home at that time, I guarantee you, I would not have been assaulted. Hmm. End of story. Mm -hmm. So I, because that would have equalized our size. <laughs> so you know, you, I mean, that, that is the great, like the whole, you know, cult, uh, what does he say? There's a whole, the old Western quote that you know, not all men are, Something about men aren't created equal, but cult makes them equal or something. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I have heard that. Men and women yeah. aren't equal, but cult, cult. Anyway, there's a whole saying so, to it or whatever. But, but the point is is that it's it, there. there's all of this talk consistently about, uh, you know, the, you know, we need to get rid of the weapon. We need to get rid of the weapon to your point, right? Like, you're not breaking the cycle. You're just taking a component out, which is the weapon. But you're not. It's a weapon. You're not. You're, you're not taking the knives out of the home. You're not taking the baseball bat out of the home. You're not taking that, the hammers. Yeah, I think, yeah. wasn't there a recent study that was just done that says um, that there were more deaths by hammers? Yeah, I think than, it was blunt than, blunt instruments. Blunt yeah, instruments. Yeah, rifles or something? Yeah, so sorry you cut out a little bit there. I didn't mean to talk blunt, over blunt, you. Blunt instruments, I think, was the, the term. Yeah, so, I, I mean, it's that is such... I get really pissed about that, particularly because that is such a manipulative language that's being used, uh, you know, to write policy that, that, you know, for political agenda that just completely dismisses, um, you know, victims. And, and in my case, domestic violence victims, uh, you know, and, and puts that it literally is continuing to perpetuate victim mentality. And I just think you, you know, my, one of my biggest statements that I've made that's been very bold and other people have made it in other ways, but, um, is do, you know, to politicians or anybody for that matter, do not tell me that you support a woman's right to choose when you vehemently take away a woman's right to choose how she defends herself. And on that note, <laughs> we've hit an hour. Because I that, think that's a that great... A good, is that a good mic drop moment to end on? <laughs> that's a great punctuation. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, we, we, try, we try to keep clear politics on this, um, but invariably yeah. they're going to enter in because we're talking about policy that either protects or, right. or uh, doesn't protect people. So um, I appreciate you. Did, one last thing, though. Did I hear you say that you didn't know about a gun culture until a year ago? <laughs> yeah. So you, you, I think you met Mike's friend Colin, right? Did you uh, meet Mike's friend, Colin? I don't Colin? think so. Um, so, um, but you, you're familiar with, he is, it has a pretty big, you know, um, um, uh, place in, 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 well, in America, uh, but particularly in, in gun culture. And so when I spoke out about 1639, I said, you know, I, I wrote it on my social media and I said, you know, for those of you that voted for this and you didn't read it, let me tell you what you just did to me as a domestic violence, what, you know, what you just did to domestic violence victims. And people, you know, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. I'm like, I know you didn't because you didn't read the law. You just ran with it and you didn't read what it actually said. And um, that, you know, this, this, if nothing else, should be a lesson to you to read the legislation. They intentionally make it vague so you don't read it. And, you know, and I apologize for, for bringing the political aspect to this. But, you know, my my entrance into fighting for domestic violence rights was based in, in poorly written policy. So I kind of kind of avoided, unfortunately. But um so yeah, so I shared it on my social media, and then I shared it uh, on my Facebook, and then I shared it on my Instagram, and uh, he got tagged in it, and he shared it. And oh, you're um, talking about Colin Noir. Colin, Colin Noir. Collins, yeah. yeah. So and he shared he shared that post, and um, here I am, ten months later, being interviewed by Zephyr Wellness on the negative impact of these laws um, on domestic violence survivors because of their uh, what it does, to, you know, because it puts them in fear of not going to get help. For yeah, their, for their mental health care. And and now that you're you've been on noggin notes, and I don't know that you can climb any higher. 
to be honest. Well, you know, I, I'm telling you, this is this is it, man. If Senator, <laughs> if or, excuse me, Rep, Rep, uh, Representative Massey doesn't see me now with this on my resume, I don't well, know. Yeah. You know, I, I, the world is hopeless. I don't know what to. <laughs> or reach, or reach is small yeah, but, but mighty. Well, yeah, Carrie, I really appreciate you. Um, I, we're we're a little over an hour now. That's been a great, great podcast, great conversation. I think. Um, you definitely brought a, a new perspective, a different viewpoint. I hope people appreciate it. And I, I like hearing this stuff because, um, like I said, just a couple of weeks ago when we met, I, I had no idea. I thought I knew about domestic violence, but I didn't know about the defensive aspect of it. I didn't know the impact of ERPO laws. I didn't know how, uh, you know, gun control played into that. I didn't know the psychological aspects of uh, victimhood without defense if you go seek treatment um yeah. yeah i mean all this stuff is like you know it's floating out there but until you meet more people who can connect the dots um it just continues to float so i really appreciate you connecting those dots in a, in a new way that i had not considered before and i hope our listening audience um really embraces it too because this is this is fascinating and i think i think people oh, people need to understand that like What's the statistic? One in four women or something is going to be uh, abused? I'm sorry, you cut out just a little bit there. What did you say? What was that piece? The, I, what you... I don't know where I cut out. I was just talking because I do that. You cut out when you said when people are connecting the dots. Oh, yeah. So, you know, they, when people like you connect the dots in a, in a unique way, it really helps to, you know, to crystallize things for people and it, and it brings more light to, to the subject matter. And, you know, I consider myself, you know, knowledgeable about domestic violence, but I didn't consider these angles. And, so we're talking about a very large percentage of population. I don't know what – I just spit out a one in four number, but that may have been sexual assaults. But um, I don't know how so many – One in three – well, depending on the, the study, um, one in three to one in five women are domestic violence uh, – victims of domestic violence and one in seven men. At some Why point in their lives, right? Solid? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, well and, well, and the point is you're, you're talking about either 20 to 20 to 35 percent of the population of females right. – and 16% of the population of males have been have been abused at some point, either psychologically, um, they've been restricted in their access to things, they've been um, uh, beaten, they've been, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that's a significant portion of the population that would essentially seek mental health services and in so doing have, lose some of their liberties. That's unacceptable. Yeah. That's just unacceptable. And it further it stigmatizes yeah. our profession. I don't want stigma in our profession. Uh, we've right. we battle it enough as it is, and and we can't avoid the policy conversation uh, because it's the policy that creates the stigma. So I just I just appreciate that you came on and and you're you're as bold and and outspoken as you are because I think I think we need more of that. We need more candid conversations and stop you know people tiptoeing around this stuff because it matters and it affects uh, uh you know a hundred million people at least in this country alone if we're going yeah. on those numbers. So. Well, and, and to put Thank that you. perspective, the, the estimated number of firearm owners in this country are 150 million. Right. Right. So just to put that in perspective, like, you know, so how many of those people are, are living in fear of, of, you know, having their firearms taken away simply because of a misguided, poorly written policy based on mental health? Yeah. And we, and we uh, say, OK, so what? They keep living in fear or whatever. At least they get their guns taken away and they're safe or whatever, whatever falsehoods we, we trot out there. The bottom line is uh, our suicide rate is increasing and suicides by firearm are increasing. So, like, we have to do something to um, combat this unless unless the, the people who are making these policies literally don't care that people are dying, which I don't think they're going to go on record to say 
So uh, no, but left the other rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, well, like, and we don't need to dip into conspiracy. Yeah. Or is it about control? And no. y'all can edit that out if you need to. But <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, but but that's that's legit. I mean, we don't know. Yeah. We just don't know. But the point is. When people are dying, we can all agree that it's a bad thing. And when they're dying by their own hand because they're afraid to go get treatment, that's an even worse thing. So let's evaluate the policies and make reasonable policies or at least retract the ones that aren't reasonable and keep people alive and then allow them to recover. And that's and that's what this conversation is about. This is what this whole thing is about with Walk Talk America and with yeah. We the Female and with what Zephyr's trying to do and Naga Notes in broadcasting this stuff. I mean, I just, you know, used a couple hours of my day that could otherwise be spent running my business because I think it's important to share this stuff. You literally do this for free, you know, because it's yeah. important to, to help people heal. We're not counting the cost. We're just sharing it because it doesn't do any good locked up inside our heads. So no, and it's, it's so important. And I, I'm grateful to you for, for this lane. Um, you're the first uh, podcast and the first, uh, the first um, interview that I've done outside of the gun culture um, that's that's um, been willing to hear my voice about this and, and understand that this is this is bigger than this is bigger than the gun. You yeah. know, this is literally, uh, you know, women being marginalized uh, by because of their mental health care, because they were a victim of, of a circumstance that wasn't their fault. And that that, could, you know, what does that do right to women in society? Right. That that is not that is not equality, people. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's so. It's, it's so. I'm grateful to you for for giving me this lane outside of the gun culture to be able to to talk about this and and uh, to start to bring some awareness to you know a, a very serious issue that is completely swept under the rug. That that I'm I really I truly worry about these victims and, and yeah. where they are with their heads. It's it's hard to talk about because people don't have a well formed opinion because it's so mercurial and because of the the way the policies are written vaguely it's hard to form a well-founded opinion you've done that you've you've formed well-founded opinions they're multifaceted which takes a little effort i mean it took us an hour and 10 minutes to get through this because it's it is so complex and and a lot of people are just uh, let's face it america's lazy and they don't want to do the work so so it's it it is hard to have that conversation it's much easier just to walk away from be like ah whatever uh oh oh, more people died whatever (laughs) like what no stop that we just need to get rid of the gun yeah. yeah. Well, thank yeah. you, Carrie. Um, as always. Um, thank you, Jake. Not from State Farm. Not from State Farm. Not wearing khakis. Not even wearing a red shirt today. I'm wearing my um, South Dakota State University Jackrabbits polo that my father-in-law gave me. <laughs> Go Jackrabbits. The Jackrabbits are formidable. Yes. Jackrabbits are very scary, frightening individuals. <laughs> you almost got that out without laughing. I can't. <laughs> On behalf of the Noggin Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness crew, I wish you all great mental wellness. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you very much, and be safe, ladies. Strong women, safe communities.